This morning we're kicking off a new series called People of the End Credits. And you may be thinking, what do you mean by People of the End Credits? How many of you all like movies? You like to sit in one movie or TV show, you got a favorite. You all know my, one of my favorites is what? Star Wars. I love Star Wars. In fact, our family, we have a pattern kind of every year. We kind of go through all of the movies, not in order. We go through them in the proper order. If you're a Star Wars fan, you know you don't start with episode one. You start with episode four. We trained our kids. Now, when you, have, when, you, when you have bring grandkids in our family and you want to raise them right, you don't start with episode one because that ruins the whole story. You start with four, and then you work your four, five, and six, and you work your way back to number one. In fact, you can just skip one altogether, and you can skip two altogether. Start with three, and then go 3.5, and you can work your way on from there. We want to do away with Jar Jar Binks altogether. He just kind of ruined No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't ruin it. He has a, a place for us to laugh at in the movies. But if you look at the movies, who does everybody think of when you look at Star Wars? Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Han Solo, Princess Leia. Those are the, the ones that everybody knows about. Oh, Chewbacca. You've got to have Chewbacca, R2-D2, C-3PO. Those are the, the key figures. And those are the ones whose names are up in the end credits, so the bright lights, the bright shining lights, and those are the ones that everybody thinks of. They're the main characters. But there's a whole lot of people involved in making movies. For those Trekkie fans, when you look at Star Trek movies, you got Captain Kirk, you got Mr. Spock, you got what, Dr. McCoy, Picard. I was like, who are the Dr. McCoy, Picard? You got the main characters, but there's a whole bunch of others whose names are made up in those movies, right? And that's what we want to focus on for the next few weeks. Those names are in the end credits. That, I mean, who is Gus DeLise? Who is Lloyd Floyd? Lex Lang? Richard Linklater? Count Fox? Okay. Who are these people? I have no idea. They're just names on a screen. And usually by the time you get to the end of the movie and these start rolling, what do you do? Click. Click. You just let them go. Unless you found out there's a hidden scene somewhere buried at the end of this, the subtitles, then you go fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Or if you're like us, you're sitting in the movie theater going, really, we've got to sit through, through all these names as they're going across the screen, waiting for that one scene. Or if you think maybe there's a scene at the end, and then you find out there is not, what happens? They tricked us again. Because you sat there for five minutes waiting for Lloyd Floyd's name to go across in the hope that there's going to be a scene at the end, and then they tricked you because there's not. Well, in the Bible, we have many of the same things. We all, we all know about Paul. We all know about Peter. We all know about Moses. We all know about David and Daniel. We know about the big names in the Bible. But do we really know about those whose names appear just for a short time. And even then, as we look at those names, think about yourself in the, in the church, in the ministries in a church, whose names do you know about? You know Pastor Edder? You know about Drew Allen, who leads our worship? You know about maybe the Sunday school teachers? But do you know who cleans the church every week? Do you know who's involved setting up again on, after the fall festival? Do you know who comes up early and sets up the coffee and the donuts? Every morning. 
Do you know who's here before everybody else is making sure the heat's on, the lights are on? Do you know who's counting the money? Do you know who's doing all those other things? Do you know who's involved, whose names are never mentioned and yet are critical for the ministries of God to go forward? These names that we never pay attention to. And I want you to know that every single name, every single body sitting in our church is vital to the ministry of God. You may think, well, Pastor David, I only come on Sunday mornings. You are vital to the ministry of God. But I only volunteer. You are vital to the ministries of God. But I don't do anything. I only take out the trash. You are vital to the ministry of God. Vital. No matter what role you think you may or may not have, you are vital to what God is trying to do, not just in our church. Now, we're talking about ministries as a whole. But I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm divorced. I've got medical issues. I'm tired. I've been working a 13-hour shift, and I'm just coming off a 13-hour shift and showing up. Yes, I'm pointing at Thomas. <laughs> He's, we're trying to keep him awake this morning. He just, got, he just got off work. We showed up this morning. He's out here. I just got off work at 7.30, and he's, I don't want to be here, but I'm here. You are vital to what God is doing and to our church. Thank you for being here after a 13-hour shift. <laughs> we are all important in what God is doing around this world. And you may think, I don't have the education. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have whatever. God has brought you into the kingdom for a purpose. God has brought you into the body of Christ for a purpose. Now your job is to figure out what that is. I can't tell you what that job is. I can't tell you what God has for you. I can maybe pray for you. I can give you some direction. I can give you some suggestions. Um, a while back, Jeff asked, he said, Dad, Pastor David, I want to get involved. I want to do something. Okay, we need somebody to teach the teens for a few weeks. That's not what I had in mind. <laughs> Really? You want me to go in there with them? But he graciously did it. And he didn't have that negative attitude. I'm just giving him a hard time. He graciously jumped up and said, if that's where the Lord needs me right now, I'll jump up and do it. And we appreciate that. There are things I can lead and I can give some suggestions, but it's only really between you and God that you can find that place, find that niche in your work that God has for you as a people of the end credits that you maybe nobody knows your name, but God knows your name. We don't know who these people were, but there's some designer, some act, some director, some personnel manager who knew every single one of these names, who hired them and put them on these movies, and they got their names included because they were involved in doing something. Something major, something minor. They were involved. This morning we're going to look at one such name. And he's not, he's not really a, a, a name that's not known at all. Like, I don't know if y'all know, there's, was we've been read, our family's been kind of slowly reading through the whole Bible together. We ran across a name years ago called Oholibama. Right after the election, years ago, and we're like, oh, really, seriously, that's a name in the Bible? And we, we kind of made fun of it for a while, but that's a real person in, in the Bible. And I challenge you to go find out what that girl did. Go find out. This morning, we're going to look at the name Barnabas. How many of y'all have heard of the name Barnabas? 
He's fairly well-known. He's not as well-known as Paul. He's not as well-known as Moses and Peter. He's a, kind of a short, he's only written about really in the book of Acts. But he has a vital role in the kingdom of God and what God is doing. So, so this morning, we're going to look at Acts, start off in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2, let's look at a little background that brings Barnabas into this story of the early church. Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following. We're picking this up right after Peter's sermon. Now Peter, as the leader of the apostles, stands up and he preaches this great sermon. And all these people from around the world were there present to hear the message that Peter preached. And then this is what happens. Acts chapter 42. Chapter 2, excuse me, verse 42 and following. It says, And they devoted them, they the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing them, distributing the proceeds to all as any as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in the homes, they received their food and with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here we have the early church. Peter has just finished preaching this wonderful sermon, his very first sermon, not like mine that was over in seven minutes. He preached this sermon and over 3,000 people were added to the church that day. You might think, wow, now he's one that God's going to use. And yes, Peter is one that God is going to use. But there were many who got saved that day, many who were brought in, maybe even some who had been following on the outskirts of Jesus' teachings for three years. They'd come and heard him teach from time to time. And we don't know exactly when Barnabas became a believer. But my point is that he was around and he was being involved in what the early church was doing. He was there in, during the breaking of bread. He was there listening to the apostles' teaching. He was there witnessing and taking part in ministries around the church there in Jerusalem as a Jewish believer now. And he was getting involved, getting engaged in what God was doing in that city. And we find some information out about Barnabas. We find out about some about, about his character. We find out about why God chose to use him to reach a whole generation of people. Look in Acts chapter 4. It's up on the board there behind me. The character of, Je of Barnabas was very critical to God using him. The character of Barnabas is what we're going to look at this morning. And I want you to think, that I'm not saying that this has to be you, that these character qualities have to be you, though I think that he, there are some great character qualities here, and there's some that are more evident in, in some of us, and then there are in others. And that's okay. As we look through over the next several weeks at the different qualities of people that God has chosen to use in his kingdom. The first thing about Barnabas is that he was a very, the first time we are introduced to him, we see him, he's an extremely generous giver. He saw his possessions, he saw what God had given him, not as, as a means to an end for his own well-being, but as a means to contributing to the kingdom. Remember, if you look back in, during Jesus' time, 
He's standing there in the temple watching people come by as they drop money in the offering plate. And it wasn't about how much people dropped in. It was about how much they were offering to the Lord. He said, this widow who came in and dropped just a tiny penny in the offering plate, her offering to the Lord was worth more than all the tinkle, 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 rattle, rattle that the Pharisees dropped in. God looked at her heart and saw the need. And God looks also at Barnabas' heart, and he points him out here as a means for us to mimic. And look in Acts chapter 4, verse 34 and following. He said, There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, called by apostles Barnabas, which means a son of encouragement, he's a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, Barnabas was doing what many had been doing, but only his name is singled out. The Bible says that many had been bringing their stuff, they're bringing their proceeds, bringing their land, bringing their houses, and they were giving it to the apostles to be distributed out to all who had a need. Because understand that when people got saved at this time, much like happened when we were friends with those in Asia, those who get saved are ostracized from their families many times. They were rejected by their families. Those in Asia, those in the Middle East, those in South America, those all around the world. When you get saved, many times your family rejects you. So who then do you turn to? The church, the believers, the body of Christ that you've now committed your life to. So that was the case here in the early church. These Jews were saying, now if you're going to receive Christ, if you're going to accept this Messiah, you can go to the Messiah friends for help. So the early church came together and they began ministering to one another as the needs were available. And they began ministering to one another for the needs that were needed in the body of Christ there. So Barnabas brings his land, he sells a piece of land, and brings the proceeds, all of the proceeds, gives it to the apostles and says, I want to donate this to the needs of the body of Christ. Understand that Barnabas understood that what he owned, what he had, was not his to begin with. And I've mentioned this many times. The cars we drive, the houses we live in, the clothes on our backs, the money in our wallets, they are not ours. We are just caretakers of these things. And that's all they are for us, is they are just things. We can't take any of these things with us when we die. Only thing we can take with us are other people and the souls that embody them. We can't take our things. I can't take my 401k. I can't take my retirement account. I can't take what's in my bank account. I can't take any of these other things. I can only take my kids, and I can take you guys. I can take my family. I can take those that I meet and run across. That's the treasure we're taking to heaven. So I work hard to divest myself through my life of my things so that I might be able to bring others into the kingdom. Together, so we might go together to heaven and rejoice for all of eternity. And Barnabas understood this concept. He understood that his stuff is not his own. He understood he donated this land into the early church 
It shows that his, his love was not with his stuff. His love was for God. His love was not for his things and the wealth he could grow out of it. His love was for bringing people to Christ. His love was for what God had for him. And we don't know how much wealth he had. We don't know how great his wealth was. But we know that he didn't see, he didn't hold that back. He may have been super wealthy. He may have been just a little, he may have been a middle income. We don't know. He may have been a low-income guy, but he had a, a little bit of land. He brought it to the Lord's, the Lord's work. If you read further in, in Acts chapter 5, you see the, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who said, wow, look at all these people. They're bringing, they're bringing land and money and food and all this stuff, to, and they're getting lifted up somehow. We want to have our names lifted up as well, so what do they do? They go sell a piece of land, and they hold back a portion, and they bring the rest to the apostles and say, we also want to donate land. We also want to donate some, something to the Lord's purpose, the Lord's cause. And then their question, is this all? Is, is this everything that, that, you, that you sold the land for? Oh yes, this is everything. And because they lied to the Holy Spirit, they didn't lie to the apostles. They were judged. And when they were judged, the Bible says the fear fell on all the, all the people. Not because they withheld it, but because they lied and tried to let people think, yeah, we're giving 100% of what the Lord gave us. See, Barnabas was setting a godly example for all those there. To give everything that you have. To be generous in everything that you have. To be generous with your time. To be generous with our finances. Be generous with our talents. Be generous with what you have. And everybody's abilities are different. But God has given us each something that we can contribute to the body of Christ. And when we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, he says, Now he gave some apostles, some teachers, some pastors, and some prophets, and all to come together for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He didn't say, I gave all pastors. I gave all teachers. He sent all apostles and some all. He said he gave some, some, some. So that we could all come together for the edifying of the body of Christ. To bring the body together. To encourage one another. To challenge one another in what we're doing. To lift each other up in the faith. I hope that you don't come here selfishly, thinking, what can I get out of church? Because even on Sunday mornings as we worship together, it's not about what you can experience and what I can experience out of worship. We come together so that we might give worship to God. We come here so we might give to God what He is worth, to give to Him as Almighty God all that He deserves. We don't come here to honor your pastor. You don't come here to encourage and to lift up the name of anybody in this room. We come here to give God the glory and honor that He deserves. Period. That's a worship service. That's our worship time. To give Him worship, not to say, Our pastor is such a, looks great in that red shirt this morning. He looked great in that green jacket last night. 
We love our pastor. I hope you love me. I'm glad you love me, some of you. I'm glad. But we don't come here to honor one another and to lift one another up. God has given us some great teachers in our church. God has given us some great examples of godliness and righteousness in our church. But we don't come here to hang around, to be groupies around those people. We come here to be groupies for God. Amen. He is the one we come here to honor and worship, period. And if you're coming here for any other reason, I challenge you to examine your heart. And Barnabas set that example as he donated that money, donated that land. He said, I'm coming to give this to the Lord, not to have my name lifted up. And he really didn't care, I don't think. But the second thing about him, he was a risk taker. Will, a man willing to take a chance when nobody else was. You know the story of Paul. Before he was called Paul, he was called who? Saul. And Saul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He tells a story later on in Acts. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a, a studied under the most, some of the strictest forms of Phariseeism. And he saw it as his duty as a Pharisee to go and to wipe out this early church movement. He was persecuting him. He was throwing him in jail, hanging him, hauling him before the courts. And he was doing all that he could in his power to persecute the early church. But then something happened. If you read in Acts chapter 9, you, you find out what happened. He's on his way to Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, he sees a light. I saw the light. No, he didn't say that. He saw this bright light and Jesus appeared to him. He said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul realized at that point that the one he was persecuting was not the early church. He was persecuting Jesus himself. And not just Jesus, he was persecuting God. He recognized Jesus for who he was. God. He thought he was serving God by persecuting the church. He thought he was serving God by doing that and going after him and being angry and bitter. And He realized that he was actually persecuting God himself. And he had a transformation in his heart. Blinded for several days, Ananias comes, lays his hands on Paul. On so I mean, imagine being the one that God says, I want you to go and meet this Saul. I want you to go and minister to him. Really, God? Isn't he the one who's been persecuting the church? How'd you like to be called on that job? <laughs> Not me. He goes, he lays hands on him. Paul's sight is, re is restored. And then he becomes a huge apologist. He becomes the one going now into the temples and the courtyards there in Jerusalem. And he's preaching Jesus. He's there going and confronting his Jewish friends and preaching Jesus. And it says the early church was afraid. In fact, it says there in 26, in chapter 9, verse 26, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them, how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him. How, on, how in, at Damascus he had preached the name boldly. Preached boldly the name of Jesus. Barnabas took a risk. He saw something in Paul. He was willing to step out there in Damascus he, and to, to bring Paul in 
and bring him to the leaders in Jerusalem. Say, this is the man Saul. Yes, he was at one time persecuting the church. This is the man who was going after our brothers in Christ. This is the man who we've been all fearing for so long. But God has now transformed him. He took a risk. He took a chance on Saul, now called Paul, and brought him into the church and presented him before the leaders of the church and said, I believe that God has radically transformed this man. He was willing to take a risk. When all the church leaders were afraid, all the church leaders didn't want to confront him. All the church leaders were stepping back going, no, this can't be what God has for us. Barnabas stepped forward and went out and found Paul and brought him in. Said, let's train him. Let's teach him. Let's give the man a chance. He took a risk when nobody else would. Maybe God's working on your heart and saying, no, I'm afraid. I'm, I, I don't want to be I don't want to see where this, the direction this church is going. I don't want to take a chance. This is nothing that... Y'all took a chance on me two years ago when you called me as pastor. You had Pastor Ham for 36 years. He was a known person. You knew exactly what you were getting with him every Sunday morning. And then he retires. And everybody goes, what's next? We don't know who God's going to call to lead our church. You had it was a risk, and said, "We'll give this missionary family a chance," and you took a chance with us, and I appreciate it. I felt like God was leading us this way. You felt God was leading us this way, and it worked out. It's been great. You took a risk, but there are so many more risks that God has played before us. There are risks in ministry that God's laid before you that maybe you're afraid, like those early church leaders, to step out and say. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to go and step forward. VBS has passed, past two years as we've had VBS. God has challenged some of you to step forward and become volunteers in VBS. When you're like, I don't want to get around those kids. Bunch of kids running around, being involved in what's, they're loud, they're obnoxious, the music, I don't like the music, I don't like the way they dress, I don't like the way they act, but yet I, you're step, willing to step forward and take a chance on those kids. I don't want to lead that teen class. Those teenagers are weird. Anybody else agree with that? Amen, amen. Even the teens are raising their hand. Yeah, we're weird. We know it. We got it. Matthew, I'm glad you think the teens are weird too. That's awesome. It's important that we don't are not bound by our fears that we are willing to step out and take a risk when God lays an opportunity before you. Barnabas saw an opportunity in Paul and stepped forward to take a risk on Paul and to bring him before the church. When nobody else had the faith to step forward, Barnabas stepped forward. This morning in Sunday School, Rod was talking about how God gives us everything that we need for salvation. God gives us everything that we need. He gives us our faith. He's the one who draws us to himself. The faith that you have right now to step forward in a ministry, to step forward into ministering to somebody, God has also given to you. 
I've shared about my Starbucks ministry. How I go there to study and sometimes God opens up doors for me to talk to people. Sometimes the music is playing loud, sometimes it's real soft. But God has given me an opportunity there, whether it's loud or soft, whether there's a lot of people in there or just a few people, to share and minister to college students and to single moms and to married couples and to others who are there. It's always a risk. It's always a risk. I'm an introvert by nature. I'd rather sit there, put my headphones in, and just listen to my music and be studying away and do my thing, and then somebody taps me on the shoulder and asks me a question. Really, God? Okay. There's always a risk involved in opening up and sharing with somebody, in opening up and stepping out and becoming vulnerable with somebody else. There's always a risk there. Maybe God's asking you to lead a ministry, to begin developing a ministry here at our church. But God, what if I fail? What if you don't fail? But God, Saul, is he's been persecuting the church. What if it's just a trick to draw us in and to get involved and to find out where the church is meeting? But what if it's real? What if his transformation was real? And... God is opening up a door for you to get involved and get engaged in somebody's life, Barnabas, to impact the world. What if? What if? Are we willing to step forward and take a risk? Are you willing to take take your money and use it for his kingdom? Are you willing to step forward and become a risk taker? Are you willing to become faithful? See, Barnabas didn't start off by being this huge risk taker. He didn't start off by just giving all of his money. He had been faithful in serving the Lord in, his, in what he knew of God in Judaism all the years prior to that. And then we're going to look at just a second how he continued serving the Lord faithfully in the church until God separated him and Saul out. Look in Acts chapter 11, verse 19 and following. Acts chapter 11. We're stepped forward six or seven years now. And Barnabas has been serving the Lord in his church, serving the body of Christ. It said, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia. Now remember, Stephen was stoned. And who held his coat? Saul. So step forward now, six or seven years. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke with the Hellenists, the Greek, the Gentiles, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of those who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God, who was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man. I love this definition of Barnabas. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for who? To look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, 
The disciples were first called Christians. So Barnabas is faithfully serving in the church in Jerusalem, faithfully serving and ministering to the needs of the people in Jerusalem. They hear about this message going on up in Antioch. They hear about these, these Jews that were not afraid to mingle with the Greeks, with the non-Jews. Their faith, he was faithful down here. They heard about this transformation that was taking place, people's lives being changed. And now he who has been faithful in serving, a no-name, maybe he was just a Sunday school teacher. Maybe he was just the janitor. Maybe he was just a VBS teacher. Maybe he was just serving in the kitchen. Maybe he was just something. He was faithful in serving for six or seven years without any kind of recognition. He's now called upon to go to Antioch. He goes to Antioch and he finds out that lives are being transformed, lives are being changed. Who does he go to? He travels then to Tarsus, grabs Saul, they go back to Antioch. So obviously that means that Saul has also been serving faithfully in Tarsus among the people there. Brings them back and for a whole year they minister and they teach and they minister and they teach and they minister and they teach there in the church in Antioch. And what are the people called there? Little Christ. They're called Christians first in Antioch. It was a derogatory term that the world put on the people. It was a derogatory term of the church that the world gave to the early church. You little Christ, you think you're just so high and mighty and special, don't you? You little Christ, you Christians. You want to be just like Christ. Yes, we do. Thank you very much. You want to have attitude just like Jesus. Yes, we do. Thank you very much. You want to love people just like Jesus. Yes, we do. Thank you very much. You trust that Old Testament. You trust, you trust that Bible more than you trust our other documents. Yes, we do. Thank you very much. I'm glad you recognize that truth about us. See, we as Christians are called upon to live lives and exemplify Christ in our lives and to have the godly character that just exudes out of us. And as Barnabas lives his life, he is, he's a giver, he's a risk taker, he's faithful in serving. Though it exudes from his life, so when he's sent up to Antioch, the, the, the leaders in the church in Jerusalem can trust he's going to carry those qualities with him into Antioch. He's going to be able to teach them faithfully the Word of God. Teach them faithfully how to worship. Teach them faithfully what they're doing down in Jerusalem. And he grabs another to go with him. Later on, in chapter 13, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And then they're named Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. These prophets and teachers in that early church there in Antioch were ministering and teaching the early church. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, Holy Spirit said, set apart for me who? Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
these men just being faithful to teach, faithful in all that God had called them to do. They weren't doing anything special. They weren't seeking to have their names lifted up and to put, be put in lights. They were just being faithful in the little things so that God and, and then God and seeing that could trust them with the big things. Faithful in the little things so that God would lift them up to be in charge of many things. So you may think that what you're doing is has of no consequence. Mom and dad, you may think that I'm just raising my kids. I come in with church, I, I drag them to church every Sunday morning, they're kicking and screaming and crying, and I'm bringing there. And in Sunday morning, the worst time in families, I don't know about y'all, but it is for us. It always seems like Sunday morning is like the time when, but you're the preacher, you're, your kids, yeah, yeah, it's even, yeah, it even hits us too. You're dragging your kids to church, kicking and screaming sometimes, but you're being faithful and showing them this is where we need to be on Sunday mornings, worshiping together with the body of Christ. Coming together to worship God. But can't we just do it and watch the televangelist on TV? Can't we just watch the guy on TV or listen to him on, on 94.7? You can do that. You can get some Bible teaching, but there's something about coming together as a body of Christ. In Hebrews it says, do not, don't not come together. Don't not come together. You like that double negative? In other words, do come together as the body of Christ and worship together. There's something about that that teaches one another. We, we encourage one another. We challenge one another. There's just something about coming together on Sunday mornings that's important to our faith. These five were faithful in leading that church there in Antioch and then God says, separate out these who were being faithful. Barnabas goes from being faithful as a janitor, science school teacher, whatever he was doing in Jerusalem. Now he's told to go and find out what's going on, report back in from Antioch. Now he's a, one of the teachers and the prophets there in Antioch. And now God says, separate them out to go. What are we doing to be faithful, to serve? the Lord and what we're doing? Are you being faithful every single day to your neighbors? Do we pray for our neighbors? Those that God has placed right next to you in your neighborhood? But David, they go to another church. I don't care. God has placed them in your life so that you can minister to them. God has placed those people across the street whose dog drives you crazy. so that you can minister to them and they to you if they're believers. God has placed that person in that cubicle right next to you so that you can minister to them. God has given you relationships at Starbucks so that we can minister to them. Are you being faithful? Are we being faithful? Are we being faithful? Are we being faithful? to the ministries that God has placed before us. In your seatbacks in front of you, you'll notice we've got some new tracks printed up. One of the ways, those are on the front row, you'll have to reach behind you, I'm sorry. One of the ways that you can minister to those around you is given being a simple servant, giving the gospel to them. This is a, yes, it's a church track, but on the back, guess, guess what it has? 
has a plan of salvation. So somebody, maybe, David, I don't know the words to say. We've written them down for you. We've written down the words for you so that you can follow through this or you can hand it to somebody. You can give it to them and say, you know what, there's a God in heaven who loves you, who wants to minister to you. Would you just take the time and read this? You're in line at King Supers. I, I carry these with me in my coat pockets. I've got them in, in, in my, my briefcase when I go different places. I've got them in my car. When I'm at a gas station, I get to talk with somebody across the other side of the pump. You ever done that? Hey, how you doing? They're like, what? My kids think it's a lot of fun. They sit in the car. They, they time. How long is it going to take Dad to talk to that person at the other side of the pump? 30 seconds. Yes. They take bets. One of my kids is getting really wealthy from their sister's. But you get to talking to them. Who knows where that conversation is going to go in a matter of 30 seconds or a minute. It may, you may be there for a few minutes. You may be there real quick, but you can always have one of these in your car. You can say, you know what? I want you to know, would you just take this and read it? I don't know what, how it's going to speak to you, but maybe you're feeling led. Just take this and read it, would you? Maybe they'll ball it up and throw it away. I don't care. But you're being what? You're being faithful to passing out the word of God to giving it to somebody else, to sharing with them the truth. And on the back wall, there's also, we got a new step into church this fall. There's a place that people need. This fall, Christmas is coming up. People are looking for hope. They're looking for a place to plug in. Take one of these, give them to your neighbor, take take it, put it on your desk at work, whatever. But allow God to use you to enhance, to expand the kingdom of God. To expand and enhance the kingdom of God by your involvement. So we can be like Barnabas, giving of ourselves, giving of our time, our talent, our treasure, being a generous giver like that, being faithful where God has called you, faithful in ministering right where he has called you. being a risk taker when you're scared to death. But I don't know the words to say. Maybe that's a risk for you. Where is it that God has called you this morning? What has he called you to this morning? Because your name is is up there in the credits. Your name is up there in the end credits. Your name was written there. It may not be big, You consider yourself, I'm just the fine print in the end credits. That's okay. Your name's there. And that's all that matters. Where does God want you to serve this morning? What is he calling you to do this morning as you leave here? You be a waitress at the restaurant you're getting ready to go to? Leave a good tip? Leave a track. Don't leave a $2 tip and then leave a track. Some of you are going, oh, man. Be a good witness. Ask your waitress, how can I pray for you today? I love when I go to a restaurant with my father-in-law. Aside from being pretty boisterous, those of you who know him, almost every time we go, he talks to the waitress or the waiter. He says, how can I pray for you today? Would you let me pray for you? And then they'll, they'll always say, yeah, one or two things. And he prays for him right there. Just letting the love of Christ exude from him 
taking a risk, being faithful, being a giver. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning, God, that you have called us to a life of complete surrender, that you have called us not to ourselves, to look out only for ourselves. But you have called us, Lord Jesus, to be a part and to engage in a life of ministry. And Lord, maybe there's some in this room this morning that would say in their heart of hearts, Lord, I'm afraid. I've never been involved. I've never done anything that would be considered, quote-unquote, ministry before. I don't know what you're calling me to. And I pray, Lord, that right now in their mind's eye, in their heart of hearts, you would speak to them right now and give them clear direction about somebody or someone or some area of ministry you'd have them get involved with. And be bold to step up and do it. Or maybe there's something you'd have them give to your service. A talent, an ability, a treasure. Lord, I don't know what it is. You do. And you would speak right now into their hearts for what you'd have them give. Lord, we know you'd have us remain faithful to the ministries, remain faithful to Sunday mornings and coming together as a body of Christ, remain faithful and getting engaged in a small group around that we have here at the church, getting engaged and plugging in with other people, even when we're afraid. Lord, I thank you that you were not afraid. You took a risk on us. This morning, Jesus, as we come before you, speak to our hearts. Let us be like Barnabas. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning we're going to sing a final song. Change my heart, O God.